is Ronaldo. Oh, my goodness. You don't save those. Out of this world. Messi. 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 Landon Donovan, there are things on here for the USA. Can they do it here? Cross, and Dempsey's denied again, and Donovan has scored! Oh, can you believe this? Go, go, USA! Certainly through! Oh, it's incredible! You could not write a script like this! For the fourth time, the United States of America are crowned champions of the world. From the international stage to right here at home, this is FUVFC, talking all things soccer on WFUV Sports. Welcome back to FUVFC. My name is Gino Alpha, and it's been a glorious week of European football and American soccer. We have so much to talk about. These last couple of days have been amazing. Before we get to it, I'm here alongside my partners, James Brill and Nick Guzman. Nick, how are you doing today? I'm doing great. There was a lot that happened this week between... The Prem and all that Ronaldo drama, Steven Gerrard no longer the manager at Aston Villa. In all time, El Trafico last night, LAFC and LA Galaxy. Things are happening, and we're about a month out from the World Cup. So this is just an excellent, excellent time to be paying attention to soccer. Yeah. Um, this is one of those episodes where we all get together and we're like, wow, we actually have way more to talk about than we have enough time for. So let's just get right into it. Yeah, I mean, we're going to start with the Premier League because obviously we have some exciting matches last uh, last week and this week. Obviously, we got to start with the main match, Liverpool versus Manchester City. Liverpool defeated Man City 1-0 from a goal from Mohamed Salah. It was a pretty weird setup for the goal, but, you know, we'll know Salah will always finish it and he got the team's first win in the Premier League since August 31st. Nick, we've talked about Liverpool this season, how they're playing as a team. How does this win impact the team especially? Are they on the verge of a comeback? We talked about this game last week, and you know Michael was here, and we were a little bit down on Liverpool's chances just because of the way things were going in the Prem, the injuries to their squad, how certain players were performing. But, I mean, they came out against... We've all seen what Man City are doing this season. We've all seen what Early Holland's done this season. Scoring goals for fun. They look, they look so strong in the Prem. And for Liverpool to come out with a, a resilient performance like that to win 1-0, it's the kind of result that... Maybe it doesn't turn your season all the way around, but it certainly starts to push you in the direction that you want to go. And I think for Liverpool, it was we spoke about before, it's probably top four is the goal at this point in the Prem, at least you know, just the way things are going with how Arsenal's playing and even how City's playing, despite this loss. And I think, you know, they hadn't had a win in, in over a month just because of, you know, the Queen dying and the league being suspended and then just a bad run of form. So to get this win and and it's the kind of game that could sort of propel them forward to, to do bigger and better things this season. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's not the end-all, be-all, but, you know, when you go ahead and you you beat probably the team that's widely considered the best in the world, certainly has, you know, played in matches that they look like the best club in the world this year. But uh, Liverpool just, since the Klopp and Pep era has started in the Premier League, those guys have basically run the show since they, they, since they came over to England. And for some reason, Liverpool especially when they play City at home, I've always seemed to have that winning formula against City, even when it seems like everyone else can't. I mean, they were undefeated up until that point for a reason. And I just think, yeah, Klopp's leverage over Pep, I mean, it continues. And historically, over the last five, six years, that's just been the story. Liverpool, moving forward, it's going to be about, can they capitalize on this momentum that they now have, that they've kind of been deprived of? Nick alluded to it. Like, some things that were kind of out of their control, 
with that said, though, they still had a pretty shaky start to the season. Now that we're ten matches in, this is it's go time for them. And you get a result like that, this this is a stepping stone type of performance. Yeah, for sure. I mean, you know, this alludes to Liverpool and other teams. You know, in Europe, you know, they play a game every three days. You know, they're right now more than ever because we're obviously in October and. Uh, Liverpool's next match is tomorrow at 7.30 against Nottingham away. Then it's Ajax Wednesday. Then it's Leeds Saturday. And then it's Napoli Tuesday. So look, every three day, three days there's a game. So, you know, injury is obviously a big part of that. Uh, what do you guys think about, you know, this kind of form? Obviously, you know, the reason why everybody's playing a game every three days is because the World Cup is almost here. It's almost November. So could that be a risk for injuries, you know, for the team especially, for Liverpool, Man City, and especially the players who are national players, international players are going to go to the World Cup like that. I think it's a big risk, and I think we've seen the risk already. Diogo Jota out of the World Cup, Luis Diaz missing the World Cup. Beyond Liverpool, players right. like N'Golo Conte won't be there. These were, for a long time, this stuff, kind of stuff was talked about, just sort of like an idea, like, oh, when all these players are playing all these matches in the fall because of the World Cup, players might get injured, but it was just like we were talking about it. Now the players are actually kind of getting injured, and there are going to be some big stars who miss out on Qatar. I think for Liverpool, with their the injuries they're already dealing with in their squad depth, in it's going to be tough to get through this run of of games because there's just so many. But I mean, every team is going through the same thing. It's not just Liverpool. Any team who's got European play, European competition, whether it's the Champions League, Europa League, Conference League, are playing multiple games in a week and getting you know two day, two three days off at the maximum, and it's just kind of something at this point you got to deal with because this is what most teams in Europe are, are are contending with right now. Yeah, and I just want to go echo the point that Liverpool has already contended with injury issues yeah. even prior to the World Cup being a factor. I mean, has has Joel Matip ever played a full season for Liverpool? I, Not I, in a I, long time. I, 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 like, long I don't know. Time. Like, and I know that's just one example, but um, it just goes to show they had to bring an Archer on loan. Like, it, yeah. it, it's a situation for them that they've already had to deal with in the past. And you know, the World Cup has. It's drawing a lot of criticism on, on, on all accounts. I, I know we might talk about that later. We don't have to get into it just yet. But, um, yeah, it, it's not it's not ideal for any any scenario for teams that are currently playing, not only with a condensed schedule in the league, but also having to play in Europe and now with cup competitions coming into the fold. It's going to be almost a disaster for some teams, I imagine. But some teams are going to deal with it better. It's just going to be the luck of the draw at this point because – it's it's not it's not doing anybody any favors really. Yeah, for sure. I mean, right now Liverpool's seventh in the Premier League, Newcastle sixth, fifth is Man United, and now we're gonna jump shipping and talk about Man United because it was a really big week for uh, Manchester United fans, especially with this whole Ronaldo uh, scandal. But to recap, Man U defeated Spurs two 0 from goals from Fred and Bruno James. We've seen the team perform when they need to. Obviously, when the team's lineup is out, the spotlight's always gonna be on Cristiano Ronaldo. And we'll get that. We'll get to that later in the segment. But how do you summarize the performance of United against Spurs? I mean, it, it's it's spoken to how they've performed against all the top four teams or top six teams, excuse me, not named Man City this year. You know, they've gotten yeah. up for those games, and that's something that United really struggled with under uh, Ole and under uh, Ranić last year. So you can be critical of Ten Hag uh, all you want and there's so much valid criticism against him right now but the fact of the matter is the players seem to be buying what he's selling and they get up for big games and Nick you and I know how frustrating it is when you watch players just not get up for big games we hap- happen to deal with that all season long with our MLS beat with a club that will shall remain nameless in this moment but <laughs> that uh 
Yeah, I, it was an inspiring performance. You know, when you're getting goal contributions from Bruno, it's always a good thing because yeah. he's the focal point of this team, and there's no other way to, to highlight it. But I would say it's even more valuable when you're getting goal contributions from a guy like Fred, who is honestly just a meme at this point. And I know I don't I don't want to take the the tactics out of it because it was a dominant performance. Twenty eight shots to to Spurs. I think they had eight or nine, and. It was just, it's, it, this is exactly what you want to see from United. You know, they didn't control the possession of the game, but they're not that t- type of team anymore that they, that they were yeah. 11, 12 years ago where that was their style of play. Now it's about just controlling the pace, and, and that's what they do. They, they pump balls forward, and they get into the right areas. And <laughs> when that happens, you, you're going to get your Brazilian defensive mid on the score sheet. The sheer impact of having someone like Casemiro in the midfield as opposed to Scott McTominay or somebody like that the upgrading quality is so visible when you watch Manchester United compared to last year, even earlier this season before Casemiro had arrived. Just the way he controls the, the, the middle of the field, he's the best, if not one of the best defensive midfielders in the world. And for so many years, the talking points around this United team was how could you compete with City and Liverpool when you're like double pivot in the middle is Fred and McTominay. That's just not going to happen. The addition of Casemiro has proved so fruitful for United. They look so much better in the middle. They look so much better moving the ball. Everything's working quicker, and it's because they have that anchor point at CDM. Yeah, for sure. Um, you know, I think going back to last year, we haven't seen Man United attack more, and Eric Ten Hag is definitely making his team attack more. Um, one thing I want to talk about, especially about in the attack uh, point of view, is Cristiano Ronaldo. It's been a really rough uh, couple of hours um, talking about him. Uh, he was not selected in the lineup. He was on bench. He was warming up to get ready to go on. Ayrton Hogg, you know, ordered him to get ready. He was going to get subbed on, but he refused to get on, which is something, you know, I've never seen Ronaldo do ever. And then in the 88th minute, he left to the dressing room, and then, you know, that's the last image we saw of him. Until reports came out yesterday saying that he actually refused to come on uh, to be in the game, and he left Old Trafford. He didn't go to the dressing room. He didn't bother to like go back to the dressing room and you know talk to his teammates. He just left Old Trafford, the stadium. And uh, Man U came out with a statement saying that he won't be training with the first team for three days, and that he won't be selected in the team, the twenty-three man squad for uh, their travel to Stamford Bridge against Chelsea. So it's been of a weird couple of hours. He also posted on his Instagram saying you know that he's going to be working harder than ever sometimes he made a mistake you know it's stuff like that but you know obviously when you talk about man united this season the last season is always gonna be ronaldo uh what do you guys think about you know ronaldo's situation right now we obviously know he wants to play the fans want him to play it but no players bigger than the club and uh man you this season more than ever has to win at least a league cup an fa cup in the europa league i'm the, the burden of proof is on united to p- to pick up some sort of silverware or at least have a Champions League berth this year. So it's a, it's a big year for United. It doesn't have to be, you know, they don't have to win the Premier League right now, but it's a stepping stone type of season where they have to put something on the board. And I think you said it all, no player is bigger than the club. And Ronaldo acknowledged it being yeah. a mistake. And you got to move forward. You got to do what you got to do if you're the manager. Yeah, you can't put him in training, can't have him in the 23 next next time out. Um, I think I, I think it's, it's just a foregone conclusion that by the end of January, Cristiano Ronaldo will be with a different club, which I think is fine for everyone involved. It doesn't have to be bad blood between United and Ronaldo if the, cl- if the club and Cristiano Ronaldo are just in different phases of their careers. The only thing is that I, that I just want to mention is I'm not like, 
I'm not super big into Portugal national team Twitter as I am with American national team Twitter, but are they having like the same reaction that we have when Pulisic doesn't play for Chelsea? Are they like our star player isn't going to get reps before the World Cup and we're never going to score? Is that what they think? I don't think it's quite the same thing because, believe it or not, Cristiano Ronaldo has a bit of a better record. Does he? Than Christian Pulisic does in just about everything. Just, to, just he's got him by a hair. How many goals did Cristiano Ronaldo have in World Cup qualifying? How many in goals Concacaf did this Ronaldo year? scored against Trinidad and Tobago? That's what I want to know. That's what I want to know, too. <laughs> but when it comes to somebody like Ronaldo, everybody knows he's got a huge ego. Everybody knows he's arrogant. Those aren't bad qualities when you're talking about Cristiano Ronaldo. Like That's what made him great. That's what continues to make him great. I just think in his head, in his, if I'm trying to get inside his psyche, I think he thought he was going to be needed off the bench in that game to win it for them, and he was going to be the hero. That's just, if I'm Ronaldo, I think that's what he's thinking. And when they're up 2-0 and they want to bring him on in garbage time, there's just something in his brain that was like, no, this is not me. I'm better than this. Which, I mean, maybe he is, but you're no player is bigger than the, bigger than the club. We've seen what, he's achieved, what he achieved with Ronaldo, you know, over a, or with Manchester United over a decade ago. He's got so much history with this club. It's kind of a shame to see the relationship be tarnished in this way. But props to Eric Ten Hag for handling this. It's easy to cater to, to star players. We see this all the time with PSG, how it seems like they're <laughs> yeah. constantly catering. <laughs> that was a perfect example. They're constantly <laughs> right. catering to Messi. They're catering to Neymar. They're catering to Mbappe. And they look good early in this season, but in League One and Champions League play. But, you know, when it comes down to it in the knockout stages, in the nitty-gritty, you know, must-win games, catering to your star players over the team is never really going to work. We've seen it throughout PSG's history. And I think Eric Ten Hag kind of laying down the law and sending that message, not just to Cristiano Ronaldo, but to all the players in that locker room that we're all in this together. We've This has been a mediocre club for a decade since Sir Alex Ferguson has has left, and we need to get back to the standard that we, that we used to have that made us the greatest club, club in England. I think he sent that message, and I think it, it it's just a really important thing for the younger players to see that it's all about the badge. It's not about whether you won five Ballon d'Ors and you're arguably the greatest player of all time, one of the greatest players of all time for certain. That doesn't matter when you're trying to compete to win trophies and get back to, to your rightful place atop of England. Yeah, I mean, going back to what you said about PSG with the manager situation, we've seen it with Unai Emery. We've seen it with Tuchel at pinnacle moments in, you know, for PSG games, especially in Champions League. You know, they got to take out maybe a Messi. They got to take out a Neymar. They got to take out Mbappe. But... You know, the board of directors could be the president, could be, you know, the uh, another higher figure at PSG. They don't want one of those three players to be off. You know, they want them to play. And sometimes for a manager, it's really hard. And that's what Tuchel tried to do. He tried to bring, you know, he can bring Mbappe off. He can bring Messi off. He can bring Neymar. So how are they going to win a game? So, like, I mean, you said it well, Nick. I mean, Ayrton Hogg definitely set, you know, Standards at the club saying, like, you know, if Ronaldo, arguably the best player in the world in history, you know, he's at Man United with this struggling team, he doesn't want to play, then he should leave. You know, it's 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 very simple. You know, I get there's fans who love the player. There's people who just love Messi, and then they just support PSG because Messi's playing. Same goes to Man United. People love Ronaldo, but they just follow where Ronaldo goes. So, you know, if he wants to leave in January, I think it's fine for Manchester United fans. We need a young squad. I, I think if, if if it would be more of a disservice to both the club and Cristiano Ronaldo to hold on to him for the rest of the year if he's not going to be part of the club. You, you mentioned like the relationship being tarnished now. Yeah, it's 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 
it's not good to see, but I think it's it would be totally okay if as long as they acknowledged the situation for what it was and said, if Cristiano Ronaldo is not going to have an, a prominent role in this place, there are definitely other big clubs that will involve him for sure. He yeah. can go there, have a prominent role, and he doesn't have to become a villain at United or Tenog doesn't have to become a villain at United. The, the relationship does not have to be negative. It can just be they just go their separate ways, make it mutual, just like... Yeah. You know, I, I, I don't I don't want it to be as dramatic as it has been lately because no one needs that. It's not good for anybody except for for us because we get to talk about it. Yeah, for sure. And, you know, that alludes to, you know, this Saturday, especially man, you will travel to Stanford Bridge to play against Chelsea, Graham's Potter, Chelsea. And, uh, you know, Ronaldo's not going to pee on the lineup, especially not on the bench. So, uh, Nick, what do you think about, you know, this Chelsea team? Obviously, they're pretty good right now with, you know, Graham Potter being in the in the club right now. Uh, a, a United that's, you know, playing well, uh, Fred Casemiro who's on fire right now. How do you look at that uh, lineup and, you know, can Chelsea, you know, get the three points at home? Yeah, it was a tough nil-nil draw last time for Chelsea against Brentford. And I think Graham Potter has some serious uh, lineup decisions to make. Kai Havertz has been really ineffective up top for Chelsea for most of this season. And... I'm not just saying this because I'm American. Christian Pulisic looked very, very good when he came out against Brentford. Really? He looked very impressive. And people were calling for him to start against United. Not sure if we'll see that just because of you know how things have worked so far this year under Graham Potter. But Pulisic made a big impact, and they almost found the winner against Brentford. I think it'll be a similar lineup as we've, as we've seen under Graham Potter. Um, and I think for United, the having the... Ronaldo saga sort of behind them a little bit and saying he's going to train individually and having him not be in the squad I think the only thing that's going to do is bring the group closer together and be like okay our focus is 100% on Chelsea if you read the statement that Manchester United the club made after after um, announcing their decision on Ronaldo very short very to the point saying the club's entire focus is on preparing for Chelsea this weekend I think it's gonna be a really good game and I think I I really would not be shocked if Christian Pulisic got a start on on the wing. Oh, I I certainly hope you're right, Nick. But I'll just speak about Chelsea and United collectively. I think they're in very similar places as clubs. Obviously, just not because in the table there, I think a point separates them. Chelsea's in fourth on twenty, and United's in fifth on nineteen. Yeah. But they're both just within the last week have had you know difficult nil nil draws against you know decent mid table opponents. I mean, I know Newcastle's in sixth, but I mean, the club itself is a mid-table club in, in the guise of the Premier League. Um, the only thing that, that Chelsea has a leg over United is that they've gotten wins in the Champions League now over Milan, which is which is a big deal. I know that was a, a little over a week and a half ago now, but um, that's a big deal coming into that. They've got two wins over Milan in the last two, three weeks, two wins in a row against Wolves and Villa, in, or three wins because also Palace, three wins in a row in the Prem, then that nil-nil draw. But that United win against Tottenham is is really, really important because that's the way that they really want to be able to play. They want to be able to pile pressure on the op- opposition's defense, and that's what they did. I don't think they're going to have as much freedom to do that against Chelsea because of just Chelsea's really rigid defensive structure with that back three and back five at times. Unless, of course, one of the wingers gets forced to play in the wing-back position as has been almost customary for Chelsea, Raheem Sterling, was Sterling wing played back left for, wing back yep. um, against Brentford, albeit briefly. I didn't he doing it for like 20, 25 minutes. So I mean, there are variables here that, because of you know managers being willing to adapt, Potter being one of them. So yeah, it's I think it's going to be a really great game. Obviously, a heavyweight matchup. 
and this is this is the one that everyone's gonna have their eyes on. Yeah. Any predictions? We'll go. I'll go two two. I was gonna say one one. I was gonna say one one. I think last uh, year in Stanford Bridge it was one one, right? Jane Sancho scored. <laughs> yeah, with the Sancho. Yeah. 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 And then yeah. Old Trafford was a nil nil draw. Old Trafford. I thought. I thought United had lost, but I will check that right now. Yeah. I just think both these teams, like James said, they're in similar spots with the way their seasons have gone so far. There's been there's been ups, there's been downs. And I think United come in with a little bit more momentum after that Tottenham game, but I think we'll see some we'll see some goals and I think it'll be two two. Yeah, for sure. Uh while James uh searches up the uh head to head record, uh I think that's all we have to talk about Premier League. You know, we always tend to talk Champions League, but obviously there isn't Champions League this week. Uh, so we'll have to wait until uh, next week for the, was it no, no? Two 1-1 one, one draws last year, Ronaldo yeah. and Marcos Alonso. I remember the Marcos Alonso yeah, goal now. School. It's going to be another draw for sure, I think. I mean, <laughs> these teams are, like, attacking hard. <laughs> like, it's going to be another tie, and then back to Old Trafford we go. But uh, ending that note, I think it's we should talk about the Ballon d'Or ceremony you know, it happened this uh, last Wednesday. Was it last Wednesday? Yeah, it was last Wednesday. There was I didn't know they were giving out uh, more awards. I thought it was just you know the feminine Ballon d'Or and the Ballon d'Or. Obviously, they, 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 they revamped the whole thing. Yeah, they revamped. Yeah, and uh, I think Thibaut Courtois won the Yashin Award, the Yashin yes. for best goalkeeper. Uh, the Socrates Award, which is like a new award given to players of solidarity. I think it was given to Sadio Mane from Liverpool. Uh, Robert Lewandowski won the. Gerd, top, the, Gerd, the, Muller the, the Gerd Muller trophy. trophy for a top score. And uh, the Ballon d'Or Feminine given to Alexia. I, I don't know how to say her last name. Puteas. Puteas. Sounds weird, Puteas. But first female to win back-to-back Ballon d'Ors. And obviously the main award of the night, Ballon d'Or, given to Karim Benzema. You know, uh, you know, seeing the sky on the, in the big stage last season, you know, it's, I've never seen a season quite like Benzema's, you know, and, Obviously, you know, all, you know, Nick, James, and I are young, and you know, as kids, we've seen Messi and Ronaldo lift up the Ballon d'Or every other year. And you know, obviously, there was a 2018 year where Luka Modric won, but finally, this Ballon d'Or I think meant more than all the previous winners in the past 10 years. Um, in your guys' uh, perspective, how would you describe Kareem Benzema's season last year? And is this the people's Ballon d'Or? I. His season last year was so incredible for so many different reasons. Number one, because he was clutching all the big games he needed to be clutching. And the biggest thing for me when thinking about a player like Karim Benzema is if you think about the Real Madrid Champions League 3 P 2015, 16, 16, 17, 17, 18, some of those seasons, Karim Benzema was really not a huge factor. 17, 18, he had five goals in, in La Liga. That was the Ronaldo show, was the Gareth Bale show, Isco. He was really just a supporting piece in those dynasty teams. But it's after Ronaldo left, after 17-18, how he's grown into that role of being the main man for Real Madrid, who the attack plays through, not just a guy who's there to compliment somebody like Cristiano Ronaldo, but somebody who's going to just be the focal point of the Real Madrid attack. And every year since Ronaldo's left, he's gotten better and better, and it all culminated in last year where he seemed to be the man for the big moment in whatever game it was, whether it was against Chelsea in the Champions League, whoever, against PSG, Benzema was always there and deservedly won the Ballon d'Or. Yeah, I, I, I didn't see any big like disagreements with it. Some people were trying to advocate for Messi for having a better goals-to-assist 
uh, ratio over the calendar year, but that they, they changed, changed it to a seasonal format, which is probably what they always should be doing. Um, unless, of course, it, it, it's a disadvantage to players who play in a league such as, oh, I don't know, Major League Soccer that doesn't operate on the same <laughs> calendar. And, you know, I, I hear the, there's this guy... Uh, Lewis Morgan, who's who Lewis was Morgan up, for who, Ballon who is up for the Ballon d'Or voting, and he got he got a bit snub. I think he was the thirty first of thir- of the thirty. So uh, unfortunate for him. Ha- back to Benzema, though. I mean, the guy's age like fine wine. I I was just I, I wanted to talk about the three peat era of Real Madrid. He was like he was he was they didn't he was looked down upon on that team. Like he he obviously was has always been among the best strikers in the world, but. From five years ago to now, five years ago, he was considered almost a joke for Real Madrid. Yeah. And, you know, the whole blackmail scandal with yeah. Valbuena not being in the French national team. He was like, he was genuinely forgotten about. And he's now established himself as far and away one of two or three best strikers in the world. I think it's Benzema, Lewandowski, and Erling Holland right now. Is you can't, you, I don't think you can throw in a fourth into that. That's the upper echelon of strikers in the world. And for that reason, and for what Benzema was able to do last year and even the year before that, he's established himself as one of the best strikers of our generation, one of the best of all time. So for, for what he was able to come from to now, he's always had the quality, but he never had the forum to show it because of the Cristiano Ronaldo's and because of the Gareth Bales. And he has done absolutely masterfully stepping into that role and being just the focal point of Real Madrid's, that's the reigning champions of Europe. They're just their attack, and he's been absolutely magnificent. He, he was an afterthought. You know, 2017-18, France won the World Cup, and because of that, the blackmail scandal with Valbuena, you know, he was kind of discarded from the national team for a while. So you didn't really see him on these big stages or playing in stepping up in these big games and for him to go to a place like that where your country won the world cup without you to be back in a place where you're you're back playing for your country he played well at the euros i'm sure he's going to play well at the world cup and to be back in the spotlight and and shining in the champions league it's really special i don't think we've seen anything like it in a while this is an era that's been dominated by messi and ronaldo we saw luka modric win in 2018 after he took Croatia to the World Cup final. But that one was shattered in controversy because, you know, Ronaldo and Messi technically did have much better individual seasons than Modric, you know, statistically. Um, But we know the World Cup holds a lot of weight. But this is the first, really one of the first ones where, where, where Kareem Benzema, without a shadow of doubt, was the best player in the world. And just to see where he came from, five six years ago when he's not even in the conversation for being one of the best forwards in the world to where he is right now it's really it's truly remarkable it's really weird to say kareem benzema is a ballon d'or winner if you would have said that to me maybe five six years ago probably nobody would have believed us but you know that goes to show i mean like how real madrid works as a club you know we talk about history we talk about 13 champions leagues 30 something la ligas goes back to the 50s Every decade, there's always an era. You know, talk about the 80s and 90s with the Raúls, with the Fernando Rayeros, and then going to the 2000s, the Galacticos era with Zinedine Zidane, Ronaldo, Luis Figo, and then goes to show 2009 from 2018, the Ronaldo era. And obviously, Benzema's part of you know that three-peat era, but it goes to show that after Ronaldo's leaving, it's the Benzema era. You know, he's been the top goal scorer for the club. He was about to be a Pachichi Award. He was going to win the Pachichi Award in, ni- in 2020, 1920. Uh, uh, the, the 1920 season, that is, sorry. Uh, but obviously Messi won the Pachichi that year. And after that, you know, his goals, you know, his tally has been, you know, piling up. 
Deschamps finally acknowledged him and they called him up, won the Nations League with France and uh, the Champions League, La Liga. He was top goal scorer of both competitions. He was the top assist provider for La Liga and he's the UEFA Player of the Year. I mean, there's no other man to win this award. It was definitely Benzema's award. Now, I don't know if he can top it this season again like last season. I mean, he's, he's off to a good start. He's got, what, five five goals and seven La Liga Yeah, and I think when he played, far? when Real Madrid played Elche, he scored three goals, but yeah. all those goals were disallowed. Wow. Things get messed up in a World Cup year because it really they really do take into account when there's an international cup. I mean, Sadio Mane got second mm-hmm. in a large part because Senegal won AFCON. So these these international yeah. competitions have a lot of weight depending on which country goes far. That could that could easily weigh into who. So if France goes on and wins the World Cup, Benzema is a free and Benzema is a, a big part of that. I think there's no reason why he shouldn't be able to repeat. But say you know a team like Argentina wins the World Cup, it's going to be messy. I I think it's interesting that the national team uh, dynamic comes in even now with the seasonal Ballon d'Or because normally the World yeah. Cup would be in the summer and now with the with the World Cup being through the season, it was going to factor into the Ballon d'Or voting. But for France specifically, with the way that they've played or the way that they've played at their most successful, Olivier Giroud didn't score a single goal at the 2018 World Cup. Like They don't necessarily play through the striker because Griezmann would sit underneath the striker and he was the focal point of that team and Benzema would just fly up the wing and no one could keep up with yeah. him because he's lightning quick. Benzema adds a whole new dynamic to France. And while I'm quick to say that the reigning champions get uh, knocked out in the group, because of Karim Benzema, I'm I'm starting to think that maybe France can't do that. And Golo Kante won't be at the World Cup, correct? Correct. So that's, that's for me, is, is my saving grace, uh, saying that the champions curse continues because uh, I bet on that every year. So here we go. Or every four years. <laughs> I mean, yeah. I mean, you know, we'll get to the World Cup talk, but, you know, we got to move on to a different continent. Our continent, that is... Uh, MLS Cup playoffs. Finally, it's here. We're getting closer and closer to the MLS Cup final, but you know we had a hell of a game uh, yesterday. Uh, we're gonna start with the Western Conference. Uh, the Western Conference finals was last night. LAFC won against LA Galaxy three to two. An exciting game to say the least. You know, a late minute goal. Uh, the atmosphere in LAFC stadium was amazing. Uh, Austin FC will play FC Dallas October twenty third at eight p.m. Uh, it's a Texas Derby as well, so it's a lot of derbies, a lot of uh, same cities, uh, same state uh, uh, derbies. But you know, when I look at LAFC, you know, obviously first and they won the support shield. Right? It's correct. They won the support shield. They're a very tough team to play against, and the way they're playing with the additions of, if you want to say Gareth Bale and and Kalini, I mean, hey, without them, they still won the match. Yeah, Bale wasn't even in the squad. Chiellini came off the bench. But, I mean, they have firepower all over. Dennis Bonga, who played in Gareth Bale's place in the lineup, scored two goals for LAFC. Like, yeah. the, no no team in MLS has ever had as much depth as this LAFC team does. And even though the supporter shield can be a bit of a curse going into the playoffs, right. as uh, I know all too well, um, they, there's just so much quality in this team. I mean, they, 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 could, they could shell out any three or four different groups of center backs on any given day, and it would be better than most teams in Major League Soccer. I mean, you got you got Franco Escobar, that's an MLS Cup champion with Atlanta in 2018, center back right back on the bench. Sebastian Ibeaga, who's who's been a starter at times for this LAFC team. Giorgio Chiellini, who's a guy that some people may have heard of. And then you've got Ryan Hollingshead, who can play right back, center back. And then the guys that they went with, Murillo and Segura, were the actual starting uh, central defenders. So there's just they have so much that they can offer um, I will say, though, that the, this LA Galaxy team, 
Um, that central midfield is underrated. Ricky Puig is absolutely class with the ball of his feet. Gaston Brugman is the glue for that team in central midfield. He, he just holds it all together so well. So I, I, I thought LA Galaxy played really well. I mean, a couple bounces didn't go their way, obviously, late on, but they fought. Uh, they went down and they fought back each time and scored a couple of nice goals <laughs> in, in doing yeah. so with Grancier and Jovalic. But uh, I think there's going to be some turnover next year with the Galaxy. I mean, Chicharito, obviously a big player, but I think Dejan De- Jovalic is a better striker than him. Uh, they play better with Jovalic on the pitch. Um, but LAFC moving forward have got to be the most dangerous team in the West because for my money, Austin and FC Dallas, while both strong teams, FC Dallas, like, you know, one of those teams that you always just expect to be in the playoffs every year, their academy, that pedigree is so good. Austin surprised everybody with how good they were this year, but LAFC just, they just have too much firepower to, to, to count them out. And yeah, as, as far as the Western conference goes, I, I think the East is definitely stronger. So LAFC's path to the final is going to be, going to be a little bit easier. The, the bench depth on LAFC is just, it's kind of crazy because sometimes I'll get zeroed in on the Red Bulls and I won't really pay attention to things that happen. And then you look through the LAFC lineup in their bench, and I mean, they've got a guy like Christian Tello, who's, who's a very good La Liga winger for years, just sitting on the bench in the playoffs. That's a luxury that not a lot of teams have. A player like Latif Blessing, just chilling on the bench, bring off Giorgio Chiellini from the bench and into the starting eleven. Or, or off the bench and into the game in the second half. Those are luxuries that not a lot of teams have. I mean, we spent this whole year covering the New York Red Bulls. and it's 60, only, 60 minute, that's Tom Barlow time. That's Tom Barlow time. Tom Barlow. In, in, seriously, and people like, you know, we were relying on Caden Clark or his 16-year-old Serge Goma at times to come off the bench and provide a spark. That was the we were relying on in the playoff game against Cincinnati last week. And that's really what pushes them I think above some of these other teams in Major League Soccer, it's the fact that if somebody's not playing well, there is somebody on the bench ready to take your place, and that can lead the team to victory. For the Red Bulls, if somebody's not, if Dylan Nealis is not playing well at right wing back, what there's there's nothing yeah, there's to, nothing else. Andres to do. Reyes has to play Andres right Reyes back. Has to play right back, which happened against Cincinnati, and it did not go well. It's a luxury that that very few teams in this league have, and I think that's why they're favorites to win the West and favorites to ultimately take home the trophy. Yeah, I mean, finishing with the West, I'm reading a crazy star right here. FC Dallas has never lost to Austin FC, winning all three meetings in the 2021 season, scoring nine times in the process before drawing both contests in 2022. And Dallas is one of the three Western Conference teams Austin hasn't defeated. So it's a pretty gonna it's gonna be a pretty wild game. Any predictions? I think Austin's gonna go straight through with the home field advantage. I I agree. That crowd against RSL was a big reason that 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 pushed them through. And you know it's going to be temper is going to be flailing. I mean, it's a, a Texas battle. Austin are, are this is their first trip to the playoffs. They this is just everything that you want out of a major league soccer playoff matchup. And I think it's going to be heated. And I think Austin, the home field, will probably push them a little bit through. Um, I I think the the game being in Austin is is probably the biggest factor. Even though I like I like the matchup for FC Dallas specifically because, yeah. um player like uh let me just like Paxton Pomichol in the midfield for example has been so effective uh, for for years um for FC Dallas and I I think a guy like Sebastian Driussi is going to is going as obviously the focal point for for this uh Austin team but FC Dallas does well 
in in limiting the uh, the chances for those best players. Like Quignon and Pomichol and even Sebastian Legette in the middle, they have, they have a really mm-hmm. strong unit that really limited Emmanuel Reynoso in the last round. I know Reynoso got a goal in the 53rd minute, but it was just a strong performance. Quignon got the goal for FC Dallas, so it was a midfield battle. Um, and I think if Triussi's on the pitch, that's the guy that you have to focus your defensive game plan around. If they can quiet him down, it should be FC Dallas's game. So I'm going to go 2-1 FC Dallas. I'm going to go 2-1 as well. Nick, what do you think? I'll go I'll go 2-1 Austin. 2-1 Austin, okay. I think we're all going to pick Austin. So let's say we get to the conference finals, LAFC versus Austin. It's going to be in Los Angeles. I, I said Dallas. You said Dallas? I said, said Dallas. 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 Yes. Dallas. Uh, I, I, Austin, Austin have it all put together, but... They can be vulnerable at the back. I mean, Nick Lima, Julio Cascante, Gabrielson, and Gallagher. Across, that's not. It's not as strong as you look at FC Dallas, who've got you know MLS veterans back there. I know they don't have Ryan Ho- Ryan Hollingshead anymore, but Hedges, Martinez, Marco Farfan, Tuomasi, and then Martin Poss has been right. probably next to Kalina for uh, Charlotte. Probably the best. Uh, oh, and uh, Petrovic for New England. I totally forgot about him. Probably the best new additions at goalkeeper in, in Major League Soccer. So I, they're they're a really difficult team to beat, which right. is what gives FC Dallas so, the advantage in my book. Yeah, regardless of like who who's who's the winner. Let's say either Austin. It, faces, sh- it should be LAFC should in, be the LAFC final, in the final. And that's where you're going. Yeah. 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 Okay. Are, do you agree with that? I Nick? completely agree. LAFC wins the Western Conference. I mean, they showed it all year, and you know, supporters or not, they're obviously the better team in this league. Moving on to the Eastern Conference semifinals, Philadelphia Union defeated FC Cincinnati at home 1-0 and Montreal, excuse me, NYCFC played against Miami, Inter-Miami at City Field 3-0. I think it was a pretty impressive performance from New York City FC. I mean, I want to say that second goal uh, really, really showed NYCFC without Atati Castellanos that they're, they're very strong right now and uh, obviously, I went to the game, so so what I saw on the field was really, really good from uh, the Blues. But you know, it's going. They're going to Montreal. It's a 1 p.m. game. All they have to do is win, and they'll get back to the conference finals against Philadelphia Union, who they defeated last year once again. So, how do you look at this matchup? You know, we got to talk about NYCFC. How do you think this team is looking so far? Can they make it to the finals? I think I think this is probably going to be the best matchup, Montreal NYCFC, because those teams, those two teams, were the most. Um, I don't uh, dominant and most impressive looking in their first matches. I mean, Montreal two 0 against Orlando City, NYCFC. You said you were there three 0 against Inter Miami. They were probably NYC was probably the most dominant team throughout the first round on both the East and Western Conference. They're they're playing better better soccer than they have all in season. August, yeah, and even I would say going back to last year. I think last year in the Cup run they caught fire at the right time. They look like a proper proper team now. I mean. That the both of the first two goals, the Pereira goal and the Morales goal, which is excellent team build up, and and that, that that's the way that they have want to play. They want to play that that champagne style of soccer that is very hard to come by in Major League Soccer. Like the teams, like even Philadelphia, who were probably for my money the best team throughout the season, even though they didn't get the supporter shield. Um, they they don't really care for champagne soccer. They have like almost a similar philosophy that we've talked about with the Red Bulls with pressing first and being very, very direct. NYCFC's not like that. They like to funnel the ball around the back and they opened up Inter Miami so frequently and exploited the space in behind so well, even without Tati Cassianos, who's gone to Hirona, even without Ronnie Dyla, who left for Belgium, and now Talis Magno, who's injured, they still looked as strong as ever. 
that it's it's they're going to be scary going into Montreal, a place where when it's pumping that like the atmosphere at Stade Saputo is is very impressive. Uh, the Canadian atmospheres don't get enough credit in the in the scope of Major League Soccer, so it's it's a tough place to go and get a result. But New York City and Montreal are both playing some of their best right now. It's going to be an amazing game. It smells a little bit like 2021 when you look at this NYCFC team and the way they're playing right now and the way they performed in the playoffs against Miami. I think that was for certain the most dominant performance that we saw out of any of these teams in the playoffs. I mean, Austin went to Penns. FC Dallas went to Penns. Um, LAFC, really, the Galaxy gave them a run for their money. Philly just got by Cincy. But I think that game sent a bit of a message to the rest of the Eastern Conference about, hey, we're the defending champions. You've got to beat us. We, this is our, we have the crown right now. And I think Montreal, when we saw them early in the MLS season in, again, at Red Bull Arena against the Red Bulls, I wasn't I wasn't that impressed with 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 the way they played in that game, but they have since put together a very very solid season, um, and they're playing some of their best soccer right now. I think of the of the of the remaining games in this semifinal round. I mean Montreal, New York, and then Austin FC Dallas. Those are two marquee matchups in Major League Soccer, and I hope it's loud in Montreal on Sunday because. I agree. I mean, we when you think about the Red Bulls, you know, record when they go to Montreal, historically not good. It it uh it's a tough tough place to play, and NYCFC you have a championship mentality, they have a championship team. It's especially tough place to play at this time of year in think the cold. In the cold, <laughs> it's gonna be freezing. Old Canada. Uh, what I was gonna say is that uh, I think NYCFC is gonna make it to. Uh, the MLS Cup Finals. I don't know. I just have a feeling, you know, the way they're playing, the way they played last season, it's basically the same team. And uh, going back to what you guys said about Montreal, especially this time of year, the atmosphere. Um, NYCFC, I don't think they have fear of going to away stadiums. If you've seen it last season. They went to New England. They defeated New England. They went to Philadelphia Union. Obviously, they're good right now. But, you know, they're a better team now than, you know, last season. And they went to Portland Timbers to play the MLS Cup Final. And I think Portland Timbers has one of the most hostile uh, stadiums in, in this league. And, you know, LAFC definitely showed that against uh, LA Galaxy. So I think I don't think NYCSC is phased by the away crowd. They do the job done. I Yeah, I agree. I mean, NYCFC, like, they, they've, they've put it together. And you're right to compare it to 2021. In 2021, they put it together in the last week before the playoffs and in the playoffs. Now they've had it going for a solid month, month and a half. So they're coming in with incredible, incredible composure and form that I don't think they've ever had in their entire franchise history. Yeah. And I think the fans are so behind the team right now, especially with how how the optics for the Red Bulls have looked. The NYCFC feeds off that as well. So that's going to be a factor going into this game too. I mean, Montreal are are really really strong side. I, I, are we are we all taking NYC over Montreal? Is that is that how it sounds right now? Because I I'm gonna go two nil New York City FC. I'm gonna go one nil NYCFC. I want to say one nil too. I think you know the way Montreal was playing this season, and you know New York City FC had a tough spell in August. They've lost I think three or four consecutive games. Uh, I feel you know I think NYCFC in the playoffs is a different team than they are in the regular season. So I think they're going to win uh, by one goal. Uh, now, 
to say, like, let's say they get to the conference finals, the Eastern Conference finals, it's going to be very, I really don't have a prediction for that. I really think it's going to be a difficult, difficult match to play in Philadelphia. For me, it depends on if Alejandro Bedoya is going to be healthy because Alejandro Bedoya on the field for um, the Union, their captain, is it's a very different beast because even though uh, he wasn't available for Cincy and they had Jack McGlynn, they still won the game. They 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 did squeak by it. They were obviously yeah. they were the better team for the majority of that match, but it was it was a close one. Tough tough game for F- FC Cincinnati. Um, but Bedoya's being being on the f- being on the field means that the ball is in good hands in central midfield for the Union, which is something that they were okay with without Bedoya last year because they also had Jamiro Montero, who is now on San Jose Earthquake. So Bedoya's role in the team is so crucial in not only facilitating the ball, but also doing it quickly and efficiently in a way that like a guy like Leon Flock uh, can't really do. McGlynn is really good in unlocking defenses. That's not exactly what Bedoya does. Bedoya does the dirty work with the ball and without it in central midfield. And that's what they're going to need against a team like NYCFC who plays the way that they do, where Keaton Parks is just an absolute rock in central midfield. So when he's healthy, like they, they need to have a guy like Bedoya to be able to counteract those forces. I mean, Pereira, when he drops into central midfield and gets him on the half turn, has been... Fantastic, and if Magno is going to be healthy as well, he's going to be coming into the midfield, and it's going to open up all sorts of things. Maxi Morales, I mean, I haven't even gotten to his name yet. Like, we're talking about depth for for LAFC. They're not the they're not alone in that category. They they are probably the most deep, but yeah, Philly and New York City are probably right there with them, maybe just in a small category below. So I think if the Union have Bedoya, I think you can. Uh, I would I would lean towards Philly, but if not, I think it's anybody's game. How close is Bedoya? What's the latest on the? I think on the he hit? was he was he was a game time decision for Cincy, so I think it's going to be the same for NYCFC. I, I I think if they if they if they were going to be precautionary about it, uh, they I don't think it's a precaution because it's playoffs and considering how last year went for them, you got to imagine they want to win this so badly more than ever. And and they didn't and they got they kind of got hosed out of a supporter shield too because they were level on points with LAFC yeah. and actually had them beat on goal difference, but the first tiebreaker in MLS is matches one. So LAFC even though mm-hmm. uh, both on 67 points even though <laughs> the union had a better that's goal crazy difference, that right? That's crazy. The- <laughs> yeah, but that but that's just weird MLS rules for you. Yeah, I love so, it. I love it. it you got to love that. Uh, actually, I don't love it because I, I kind of <laughs> hate LAFC. So I'd rather. I, mean, I, I'd think, ra- I think everybody does. I mean, I mean, but everything quirky. Bring back goalie uh, yeah. wars. Goal, oh, no, really? goalie, goalie yeah. wars absolutely needs to come absolutely back. To they come did back. it, but they did it during a commercial break at the oh, MLS really? All Star Game. Yeah. Oh wow. What, what, what was the point? The breakaway shootouts. <laughs> the breakaway. The breakaway shootouts is honestly a better a better way of measuring a game than than a, just a penalty kick. In you my should, opinion, you should go to England and and just say that. Well, the, the, regardless of whether or not it's true, penal, pe- the thing you. is, penalty kicks it, are criticized in every country around the world. Oh yeah. So yeah. I, I don't think that everybody I, always complains about, but no one ever offers the, a solution. The only problem with it, the, with the solution of the the hockey style penalty shootouts, you start at the thirty yard line, is that it's American. The only the only issue with it, I it, I think it's an improvement. It's more exciting. Maybe maybe certain players would have an advantage over others, but I think that's the same with penalties as it is. Yeah, going back to the the Philadelphia Union um, perspective. Last season, uh, in the conference finals, most of their players were out. Yep. I think they had COVID, and it was basically their B team, whatever you know what they said. It was third string keeper they had to go to. Third string. They had eleven players out yeah. with COVID. Not all starters though. Not right, all right. starters. So you know, obviously Philadelphia wants him more because of last season. All their players are healthy, and you know, ex- you know, except for uh, uh, some players. But you know, 
it's going to be a very I I feel like the winner of the Eastern Conference Finals will win the MLS Cup. That that is the way I feel as well. I I think I think even though LAFC on paper easily the be- the best team um yeah. For my money, City and the Union match up against them really well because they have speed throughout the team so they can keep up with, yeah. you know, the guys like Boanga, Bale, Vela, Chicharango and NYCFC and the Union uh I think personnel-wise both have Obviously, the Union had the best defensive record in the league, but mm-hmm. NYCFC have personnel-wise probably the best defense. I mean, in cent- the you have you got Chano, Cayennes, and and Martins as, as three potential. Um, oh no, it's not. Uh, what's his name? Uh, DP Tiago Martins. Yeah, Tiago yeah, Martins. And uh, I, I got it right. So yeah, <laughs> those three guys you can funnel between, and we mentioned all the other guys that yeah. LAFC have. So I mean. It's going to be about who gets and assuming NYC takes yeah. care of Montreal, it's going to be about if that is the matchup, who gets up for it more. I think Philly get up for it more knowing what happened last year and th- that is probably the biggest burgeoning rivalry in the Eastern Conference right now because for the longest time the Union tried to forge a rivalry with the Red Bulls and the Red Bulls were like we kind of already have our own rivals get in line and that's no disrespect to the Union, that's just the way it was. The Union and NYCFC genuinely have formed bad blood and it originated on the pitch last year in that Eastern Conference right. semifinal. You saw Jose Martinez flipping off the NYCFC fans in their game at Subaru Park in Chester, PA. Mm-hmm. Earlier this year, got a suspension for it. So, I mean, there's bad blood here. I, like, I want that matchup, even though I'm <laughs> not a fan of either of those teams. I would watch that it's, game. It's an exciting, uh, yeah. it's going to be an exciting final. And, you know, uh, we're going to say it. LAFC, let's, in a league perspective, they won the league. But mm-hmm. when you're in a playoff bracket, it's about the cup. It's about the cup. It doesn't matter like if you're on paper, you're, you're first. You've got the most goals. Your team is really good. Um, I, you know, I say this from, I take it from like other reporters in, in the world of sports. You know, it depends on the team who's hot right now. And I think you know, LAFC's hot. NYCFC's hot. NYCFC played an extra game. Philly had a buy round. So it really, it really depends on how Philly is going to play at home. But I think you know, it's going to be a very exciting game. It's going to be a very stressful game for many of the NYCFC fans, um, but they can do it. You know, it's it's going to be it's going to be an exciting matchup. Uh, MLS Cup predictions, finals. LAFC takes it, or it's going to be an Eastern team. Very very interesting. <laughs> it's crazy how the the narrative around these playoffs changes with the 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 new format with it not being you know two legged aggregate ties. It wasn't last year either, but. Just how now it's really you don't show up, you're you're going home. It's over. The way that changes in a potential you know NYCFC Philadelphia matchup, where now Philly the game would be in Philly, you know they wouldn't have to worry about playing at City Field, Yankee Stadium, Red Bull Arena, wherever whichever one wants to take it NYCFC for that for that playoff game, but. Now that it's this sort of you know NFL football single knockout format, anything goes, and I think LAFC will make it to the final in the West, and then I think NYCFC will beat Montreal to, to set up a uh, a matchup with Philadelphia. That game's very 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 interesting. Yep. Taking Philadelphia seems like the safe choice because you know top team in the East, top team in the West. I think Philadelphia, from what I've seen them play this this season when they're on there's not a lot of teams that can deal with them i i I agree i'd like and i also like cannot see them not being at their best they're gonna be so pumped up because what happened last year against nycfc in the conference finals where they 
I would think they think they got cheated a little bit out yeah. of out of a conference out of a MLS Cup berth, and to see NYCFC go on to win it, they're gonna have so much energy behind them. I think it's gonna take them past NYCFC, and then. Take them past LAFC in the Philadelphia Union MLS Cup. That see, and that's that's how I feel like it would have gone down last year too, because the Timbers were not super strong to be an MLS Cup finalist. I mean, you had RSL as the seventh seed taking down the Sounders. Like it was last year was was a lot of more turnover and upsets. This year, it's been with the exception of with the exception of the Red Bulls, uh, you've had no upsets, and that was kind of the purpose behind switching to that format is that you reward the teams who performed better in uh, the regular season by giving them a one-off home match, a better chance of them advancing. That hasn't been the case since they've done it until this year. So for Philly Union, now that they don't not only have the home field advantage, which was crucial to them staying in the game as late as they did until the eventual late winner, um, and that also, worth mentioning, NYC was out was without Castellanos because he got a red card in the match before that against New England. Um, so... NYC was missing big pieces too. Tinnerholm was out all year. Uh, Tinnerholm played probably his best game since returning to injury against Inter Miami uh, in the last round. So like, I mean, there's just so many variables, and we still like, we still haven't like fully acknowledged Montreal being the team that they are. Like, yeah. it's very possible that NYC hosting NYC. Yeah, that could so easily be a Montreal. And and Montreal they've been, and Montreal fans have been starving for a big uh, home playoff matchup like this. Uh, they had the, their first one since I believe. 2017 was Terry um, Henry part of the team no he was not he um it, it was like before Thierry. before Henry even got into coaching um yes it was a long time ago it was they played Toronto I remember that and it was a great it was a great I mean like that's one of the great greatest two rivalries legs, yeah. in the league great Josie two legs. Was Josie, yeah and you know that that Toronto team was something else so that, that's just a different story but Montreal specifically have have been starving for this too so like we can't rule them out I still think NYC have the edge over them. I think they're a better mm-hmm. team, and I think they're going to show up on the day. But if that, if we do get Philly, NYC, I think, if especially if Alejandro Bedoya is in is in the team, you can't you can't rule out how motivated they're going to be and how committed to their style they're going to be. Because, I mean, they've got MLS Defender of the Year and MLS Goalkeeper of the Year, three time MLS Goalkeeper of the Year, Andre Blake, uh, MVP candidate, and Jakob Glesnes, who's been absolutely phenomenal. Like. It's it's a heavyweight matchup, and this is why we love the playoffs. Like yeah. these these games were so heated during the regular season. Just imagine what they're going to be like now. So I cannot wait. What, what I will say about the MLS um, now is that you know obviously the season was really exciting. The playoffs is obviously really hot right now. But uh, before we uh, wrap up with the podcast, I do want to talk about how the MLS is going to look next year, the next ten years. You know, uh, the MLS all the MLS matches are going to be on Apple TV Plus. So we're going to have uh, all the R. matches. MSG. RIP MSG. Uh, it's going to have all the all the games, highlights, analysis, original programming. They're going to have all the on-demand uh, MLS content, uh, behind-the-scenes views of the players and the clubs, uh, selection of the MLS and League Cup matches. And obviously for 10 years, it's going to be the MLS going to be on Apple TV+. And when I look at the MLB and they what they do with Apple TV, the cinematography and how they make the stadiums look good. Like Just imagine... Those 4K ultra quality cameras on the LAFC on the Montreal stadiums—it's going to look really good, and uh, I think that uh, it's definitely going to like you know, improve. MLS is definitely going to improve into a bigger audience in America. I, I think the the 4K cameras are going to do a really good job at 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 showing high definition empty seats at Red Bull Arena, <laughs> and then and then showing high definition pitchers mound tarps. I could tell you exactly the color if you I close my eye and picture that color blue. 
yep. of the empty seats. I know it. It's, I know it it's ingrained in my mind. Well, I love that place, but uh, there's yeah, always we're, next we're not year. doing great. <laughs> there's always <laughs> next year. I, I can guarantee you that the home opener will have a smaller crowd than the playoff game did. It's likely. It's, it's pretty possible. I think, yeah, MLS, I think, needed some kind of new TV deal. I mean, you, whenever you look at the numbers for how MLS performs in terms of TV viewership, the ESPN numbers are usually respectable and good in terms of national games. The Fox Sports numbers are always atrocious. It didn't, depending on, doesn't matter who's playing or what the time slips, people just don't really tune into FS1 or to watch MLS. So I think trying to grow your brand into this new era of streaming, I think it's definitely an interesting move because think about for the young generation, I think the 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 word will pick up pretty quick that MLS is on Apple TV Plus. But first, I think of like my dad or somebody like that thinking about, oh, I want to watch the Red Bull game. It's not immediately on television. That- that's that's why it's a big factor that season ticket holders get the package for free already. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, obviously season ticket holders, you expect them to be at the matches because they have the tickets, but it's 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 a good incentive to continue to not only buy season tickets, but to also be appreciative of the Apple TV package because, I mean, I don't have my local uh, Red Bulls broadcast at home because uh, Xfinity doesn't carry MSG Networks. Same so, boat. Yeah, really? so like I don't need, I don't get the Red Bulls or Devils, the only teams I, I genuinely care about from the bottom of my heart. I get the Mets on SNY, which is great. SNY does great work. Um, but other than, other than that, like it, it's going to be a positive. It's going to grow the game more. Um, if they're still hiring for – I know they're going to do 14 teams of broadcaster commentary duos. Steve Cangelosi, they have to hire – Nick and I, I mean, <laughs> potentially, if they still have spa- space, We're right there. I would take, like, I'll take it if they offer Like it. a small half step below. I like may JP not be, Delicamere, we may, we, yeah, yeah JP Delacamere, like, I, we're better than him. Like, I, I mean, I, he, he's former Metro Stars Crazy thing to say. But I, I love JP Delacamere, it's, it's definitely going to be accessible, but, you know, I think that's going to do it for us. We're less than a month away from the World Cup, and we cannot wait to talk about it, but for now, we'll have to wait. Uh, it's been a really good episode, guys. I really enjoyed being the first time A-hosting. Um, definitely more to go. But uh, from James Bro- James Burley, right? I'm going to say that wrong. And Nick Guzmana, I'm Gino Alvis saying farewell from New York City.